This is Edward Mazur, President Emeritus of the City Club of Chicago. Our speaker today was the newly elected president of the Chicago Teachers Union, Stacy Davis Gates. Stacy Gates said, we need a new mayor in Chicago. So obviously they will not be supporting Mayor Lightfoot in her re-election campaign. The audience of over 300 people included former Governor Pat Quinn, about 10 aldermen, several county commissioners. Stacey Davis-Gates emphasized community and partnership. She said it's an honor to advance the needs of all stakeholders and to engage in battles and discussions with people who are reluctant to fully support and understand the Chicago public school system. She said there's no democracy like the Chicago Teachers Union, and we emphasize working with community and partners. The common good, she said, is rooted in good public education. Chicago, she said, cannot consider itself to truly be a world-class city if children are being shot in the streets of Chicago. She said everybody should realize that CTU members, the union members, are neighbors. 92% of CTU members are working mothers. And then she said there are at least 20,000 homeless students in the Chicago public schools. She talked about a teacher shortage. She said there's too much experimentation going on that affects black and brown students, paraprofessionals, and teachers. COVID exposed how interdependent we all are. She said the Chicago Teachers Union under her leadership will fight for women's rights, control of bodies of women, child care, affordable housing, universal college, and maintaining an excellent fine arts and sports program. She said we're allowing people who are not tethered to Chicago make decisions that they should not be making. We cannot truly fix the schools, she said, if we don't fix the leadership of the city of Chicago. We have more dollars because of federal funding and the COVID effect than ever before, but we are reluctant to see how administrators will apportion this money. People who do the work should make the policies. And she concluded by saying, once again, we need a new mayor. Our speaker has a, a nice long bio. I'll, I'll stick to a couple of the highlights, uh, and, and then hopefully we can have some time for Q and A after um, after Stacy's able to uh, give us her prepared remarks. Um, so, Stacy Stacy Davis Gates, our um, our guest of honor today, is the president of the teachers union. She uh, she's the Chicago teachers union, but she's also the executive vice president of the Illinois Federation of Teachers. Uh, she's Prior to her role as president, she has served as the vice president, the political and legislative director for the CTU. Uh, in, in the fall of 2019, she helped lead a 15-day strike uh, and, and worked to uh, further the priorities of the Chicago Teachers Union. Um, she's raised millions of dollars to elect classroom teachers to all levels of local government. Which how, how much sense does that make? I think everyone... Everyone, well, of course, as a, the son of a teacher and all of my aunts and, and others, um, so much respect for teachers. But having teachers in elected positions is just such a great, great priority. <laughs> Hopefully we have some more of that. 
2017, Ms. Ms. Davis Gates was elected chair of the United Working Families. Um, she's a board member of the Action Center on Race and the Economy, ACRE. And uh, the Nexus, uh, working at the intersection of struggle, uh, the struggle for racial justice and Wall Street accountability. Uh, she's currently on leave from the classroom, clearly quite busy. Uh, she taught uh, high school studies over a decade at Inglewood, Clemente, and Mason Community Links uh, high schools. She attended St. Mary's College, uh, University of Notre Dame, fellow Domer, and Concordia University. She lives on the south side of Chicago with her husband and three children, who I'm sure she'll acknowledge. And uh, it's it's my honor to welcome to the podium Stacy Davis Gates. Thank you. Good afternoon, class. Um, wow. You know, I've been saying my God is faithful um, for a very long time, and I am happy to report that she is still faithful. Um, this is such a beautiful room. I see my family. My mom and dad are here. My aunts. And my <laughs> my husband, he's here with his other girlfriend. <laughs> um, I see my labor family, both nuclear and extended here. I see um, I see my political home and all of the wonderful people who have been elected to office to serve people, the many. Um, I see our friends at the Charter School Network. Y'all thought it was a joke coming after that when I said friends, right? Everyone was like, should we clap? And then I see my friends over here at Franzic. <laughs> It is an honor to lead the Chicago Teachers Union. It is an honor to provide voice, leadership, heart, and soul to the fight to advance the needs of every stakeholder in the Chicago public schools. That is an honor. I'm humbled by it. And as some of you may have heard, we had an election last spring. It was fun. Um, seriously, um, it was a lot of things. But let me say this. There is no democracy like the Chicago Teachers Union democracy. And there is no voter like a teacher. There isn't. Right. They carry red pants. They don't just wear red T-shirts. That said, um, it gave us an opportunity to have a discussion about our union and the direction that 
my predecessors, Karen Lewis and Jesse Sharkey, put forth in this city. Karen Lewis and Jesse Sharkey said in this city, our students, their families deserve their humanity. That's an applause line. And because they said that, we said that we are going to fight for affordable housing, fully staffed and resourced schools, um, and that we were going to make our work about the common good because we see ourselves as common good practitioners. The common good is rooted in public education. What does that mean? It means that you will hear our voices on things that impact our classrooms, right? Um, this morning I was reading the newspaper and um, there was a six-year-old girl on the south side of Chicago who was shot. And then they said that she was the 17th one in the last few years. And it was written and it was written so matter of factly because it was hidden. It wasn't a headline. It wasn't on the front page. And you think to yourself, damn, They said she was at least the eighth child younger than 16 in the last week to be shot in a city where the most recent child to be shot in less than 17 hours. You can't be a world-class city and your children are being shot in the streets. Today is the first day of school. How about that for a transition? But that is the transition that my members have to deal with because that baby who was shot is connected to other babies and those babies are in those classrooms today. And there's not enough there. I am struck by the comparative that all those good people in Highland Park that they were able to receive a hug, crisis intervention, trauma support, the privilege of victimhood. Benefit of the doubt, humanity and love. So today is the first day of school. And like many other parents in this city, I dropped three off. <laughs> I've been joking all day that my, my, I, I still really, really like my eight-year-old because she, she, she wants to go to school. Do you hear me? It's school. Um, my 11-year-old, she wanted to know where her purse was. <laughs> and my 13-year-old wanted to wear clothes that are too small. Because he has muscles. <laughs> That's what school should be. That's what the experience that every young person in the city should have. A push and pull between their parents about what's acceptable to wear out of the, the home. Um, the awakening of adolescence and what you choose to take with you. And just the pure joy of wanting to be back in a school community where people love you and you love them. 
Instead, in Chicago, we have families leaving the Austin community, driving to the northwest side, and then to the south side to drop their children off from school. That's not okay. We also have families with children who learn differently, who will be on the bus today for hours. And then you have another family, a friend of mine, a text message that I just read, where her two children are still at home because she couldn't find a placement because one has cerebral palsy, the other one doesn't. She wants them in the same school community. The neighborhood school can't provide the service but won't release her, the school that can't. And then the systems don't talk. And so instead of those children being in school on the first day, mom is trying to figure out the bureaucracy. And this is not the caricature of black mothers that our you know, popular culture loves to exploit. But this is someone that I went to college with, right? This is someone who has a car to run around to several different schools. Not a bus pass, not bus fare, not a train pass, not train fare, but an automobile. And her children are still at home. So when I hear people talk about the Chicago Teachers Union and who child, y'all really know how to do some things. And can y'all just be nice for a minute? And can we just get a moment? You know what I say to them? I hope so. I hope so. Because what you have to know about our members is that they're your neighbors. When you sign up to become a teacher in the Chicago public schools, a paraprofessional, a clinician, you sign up to live in the cities. You don't just get your room number. You get a zip code. And if we're lucky, we find a good neighborhood, hashtag Chatham, to raise your family so your children can ride their bikes down the street, maybe walk to the store, and certainly walk to school. That's what we want. But black mothers like me on the south side of Chicago have to starve themselves. I heard that Alderman Jeanette Taylor was here. She is. <laughs> to get a neighborhood high school. Think about that. Part two is that you have people like Danita Armstrong. She is an elementary school teacher. She is an assistant pastor. She is a mother of a graduate from Xavier, right? She took care of her elderly parents during the pandemic. And Danita taught class virtually, for the very first time of her life in a pandemic. These are your neighbors. So when Danita said, I need COVID protections when I go back into my school community because I am taking care of my elderly parents, we have to hear that. And we have to talk about that. We have to negotiate that. <laughs> But more importantly, we shouldn't have to ask for safety. 
And so much so, though, that we had to fight for it. And then something else happened during this fight. They said that we were preventing women from being in the workplace. And that was perhaps the most laughable statement that I heard because I go, you know, almost 90% of my members are working mothers. They're women, guys. How do we prevent ourselves from doing the thing that we're doing? Right? And I go, well, maybe they don't know we're women. So let me tell you, we're women. (laughs) We're women. And we're mothers. And we send our children to the Chicago public schools. And remember, we live next door to you. So we work. We live next door to you. We're raising our families in the same neighborhoods. Think about who we are. You know, teachers are mandated reporters. It means that teachers, if they see school workers, let me be more inclusive here, school workers, when they see a harm, they have to report it. So when we tell you that there are 20,000 homeless students in Chicago, unhoused, we are mandated to do that. When we say that children coming out of Phillips High School were unprotected because the cops were inside the school, we're going to talk about that. You have to hear us. The bullet hole was still lodged in the school door after it hit the baby that was coming out the door. We're mandated to report to you that that is traumatic. We are mandated to report to you that it is difficult to now reach the children in that school community because all we have are objectives on the board, our lesson plans and unit plans ready for the year we thought we were going to have. And seeing there's no pivot from that. There's not a real, like a real thought process on how we now catch that moment and make it work. That's hard work. And we're in a teacher shortage. Think about that for a minute. You cannot melt and pour a teacher in these classrooms. And why not you all? I learned more about myself in my first year teaching Latoya, who is now the general counsel, or excuse me, the assistant general counsel. No, 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 no. That is the deputy. What are you? Latoya is our lawyer. (laughs) And she was my student at Inglewood High School. They closed it. And, um, I learned more about who I thought I was and less about who I was until I had a minute to sit with it. What I'm saying to you all is that in this moment, at this time in this city, we're in need of a pivot. We're in need of a pivot to what unites us. We're in the need of a pivot to what we need. Because our children are depending on it. For a very long time, we call this era um, school reform, but Karen Lewis called it school deform. And what happened during school deform is that they closed schools every single year. And in one year, they got so good, Rahm Emanuel, 2013, where they closed 50. Right. 
schools were being erected across the street from each other. There was like a Hunger Games happening, right? Privatization of schools, closing of schools, school turnarounds. Um, this law firm sitting right here to my right um, said that school turnarounds with the Chicago Teachers Union um, had um, a disparate impact on black teachers. And that law firm over there settled. They represented the city. I'm saying all of this to say that we've had a lot of experimentation in the city of Chicago on black and brown children. Closing schools, turning schools around, firing teachers, blaming teachers, erecting standardized test scores to tell you if you are in a good school or if you are in a bad school. Lots of things have been done. Lots of things have been done. And we are still talking about the same challenge. Think about that. I don't think I've said that much different from Karen Lewis or Jesse Sharkey, and we should all be very disappointed in ourselves. See, that's an F. So here's the thing. We do know that school can work. And I'm going to tell you how. Her name is Jesse Hudson. She works at Byler Elementary School. She's a delegate. Her school was on the list to be closed in 2013. And Jesse and Crystal, Crystal, who's now our recording secretary, Brandon Johnson, who's now a county commissioner, they organized that West Side neighborhood and pushed back against that school closing. Now, Byler Elementary School and every metric that the Chicago Public Schools puts forth is a success. Now, they still on the... Yeah. Yeah. Now, this school got a little love, right? We put that school on a negotiating table, right? After Jeanette starved herself to keep diet high school together, right? We said that that's kind of too draconian, right? So maybe we should use our negotiating table to figure out how to give our school communities more than what they have. It's called common good bargaining. I, frankly, I don't know how you are in labor or in anything at this point and you don't put the other person on the table with you. Because think about what COVID did to us. It exposed how interdependent we are, right? We gonna know in two days if we interdependent. <laughs> think about that thing, right? I say that to say this, the negotiating table is a table for Chicago under our leadership. We are going to take housing there. Why do we take housing there? Because of Byler Elementary School. Byler Elementary School is a sustainable community school. It anchors the common good in that neighborhood. It is a place where blocks together a community organization headquartered in Humboldt Park. It is a place where they love on people and they offer services. They like put duct tape around it. And I'm going to get to why it's only duct tape in a minute. But follow me. Sustainable community schools catches. It figures out. It works with. It challenges. Right. But it's only through the coalition of every stakeholder in that school community, the families in that neighborhood, the community organization, and get this, y'all, the cooperation of the school district and the union, that this thing works. 
See, we will be getting an A if that was an example that we were all following because it is here for us to follow. This isn't hard, you all. It just isn't. The duct tape that I say um, is because what we're doing at the teachers union is playing out of position. That's why it's so uncomfortable for everyone. And we're playing out of position because the people in the city who are supposed to gladiate on behalf of the many, they're on vacation or they cannot be bothered or they do not know their role. So instead of us figuring out curriculum, lesson plans, parent-teacher conferences only, we're out here gladiating because children cannot do homework if they are unhoused. It is fundamentally a part of how sequence happens, right? In order to do homework, I got to be able to go home. But projects were torn down all across this city and black people were pushed out. You go over to Cabrini Green, you don't even know that that even existed before. So you can't tell me that we can't transform a thing in Chicago. Byron Sigcho Lopez says you have to transform it with us, though. He says that you can't come to the 25th Ward and give me your plan. You have to come to the 25th Ward and sit with the people who are in this ward to figure out what development looks like with them. Take the word with. Take the word with. And then take the word partner. If you're looking to understand what the era of this Chicago Teachers Union leadership will look like and sound like, I just told you, with. You know we know how to fight. Ask Ron. Ask Lori. Ask Chicago. Ask a fifth grader. Ask a teacher. Ask a paraprofessional. We know how to do that. But just like women, we are complex, we are multidimensional, and we do many things. And as a union of women, we're going to fight for reproductive rights. Because we get to decide agency over our bodies. Right. And I'm going to bring it all together for you in a moment. As a union that represents women, we're going to fight for universal child care. Because there was a problem during COVID. Families cannot afford childcare. That's not the fault of teachers or teachers unions or school communities. That's the fault of a society that will not support the work of women outside the home. That's a women's rights issue. We're a union of women. We're going to fight for affordable housing in this city.
you might not become a teacher. Let me show you this self-interest too. If I am coming out of college with the debt that I am holding now as a first generation college graduate, I'm not choosing to become a teacher. I won't be able to afford it. I'm damn near affording it now. Thank you, Chicago Teachers Union. <laughs> but you get my point, you all. So when we talk about teacher shortage, you also have to talk about debt-free college, universal college. <laughs> this union is going to fight for school communities to have sports. No, don't clap. Sports is so fundamental to public education and the fact that we're clapping because we're going to work for it, we get an F. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Y'all are polite. Thank you. But fine arts, too. Fine arts. Clap. Look, you all, the bar is low. The bar is low. And you know why the bar is low? Because people like Bill Bennett, you remember him? Ronald Reagan, Secretary of Education. He came to Chicago in 1987 and he said that Chicago was a dumpster fire. He said it was trash. He was talking about our schools. But what that story precipitates is this furious like running to the you know, starting line to now offer solutions. But what never was examined was the messenger himself. How is it that Ron DeSantis' godfather, you get my point here, right, could come to Chicago when it was a black mayor with black teachers, with black administrators, with black people in school, and call it that, and the leadership in this city said, okay, let us sit for a minute. Now, think about the GOP of today. It doesn't, if Ron DeSantis came to Chicago and said those things now, what would we do? Right? But we have two generations of students who had to deal with no one examining Bill Bennett's motivation, his ideology, his politics, and his heart. And so we closed schools, we turned around schools. There are a thousand black children that we still don't know what happened to them after the 2013 school closing. That is shameful. Shameful. But we allow people who are not tethered to this city, we allow people who do not love our children, give us a prescription that we take. Think about that for a second. Now I told you who our members are. They take care of your children every day. They work. They live next door to you because when you become a member of the Chicago Teachers Union, you also get a zip code, right? So they're your neighbors. And there are parents who are also sending their children to Chicago public schools. You mean to tell me you can listen to Bill Bennett, but you can't listen to Danita Armstrong or her union? Listen, you all, the Chicago Teachers Union needs some help because we need a safe and just Chicago. Yes. We need... Schools in the 10th Ward, 
because the ceiling is falling in. Or we need a school in Garfield Park because the paint is peeling off the wall. We need green schools. You hear them talking about it all the time, right? Well, we need it here in Chicago. We need that. You know what else we need in Chicago? We need to have an elected school board that represents the breadth of the city. Isn't it a shame that you had to fight for like forever because we've never had an elected school board in um, a place where we vote for a water reclamation district commissioner? Isn't that something? But I'm telling you, you all, I'm going to say this. You can't fix schools in Chicago if you don't fix Chicago. And like, that's the bottom line. There are many people who have had this same speech on this same stage about these same issues. And the best thing that I can tell you is that children come from people. And if we are not taking care of the ecosystem where those people reside, we do not get healthy children and healthy school communities producing. Our members are doing the best that they can with what they have. And I can tell you that they are always challenged to do more and to do better, almost to a fault. That said, I'm going to ask you to help us. I want you to talk to the people in your networks and your circles about partnership. We need a partner in Chicago. We need a partner in Chicago that understands that families need W-2s. If fathers have jobs, households are stable. We need a partner in Chicago that understands that young people can say that they don't want cops in their schools because it doesn't make them safe. And we get to listen to them because Sally Hill told me when I first started teaching in Chicago, Stacy, if you don't treat the children in those seats well, they don't come back. And if they don't come back, there's no need for you. We have to center our students. That doesn't mean we let them run themselves off the cliff. I'm a mother. What we do, though, is that we center them, their humanity and their voice, and we figure it out with that word again, with them. Right. We need a partner where we can figure out how to fully fund schools when we have gotten the most money in the history of this nation and we still have understaffed schools on the south side right now. But we got a lot of money. <laughs> so it must be partnership that we don't have. So listen, I want the schools that you want. Kevin goes to CPS. Hazel goes to CPS. Laura goes to CPS. Those are my children. I want them to be in a stable school environment. Kevin had three teachers gone before Christmas last year. I want them to have choir in the school because God knows me and Kevin, like figuring out how to get there is just like a, a case of Keystone Capers, right? From travel sports to choir outside the school. How come they can't just stay there and go to choir? 
why why aren't they in sports at school right why isn't there a bus to take them to an away game see that's what i want for my children i want student government you know where you learn to expect to do this you know what else i want i want school communities where the people who are doing the work get to make the policy And what I want even more than that is that I want parents who are typically on the margins of this society to feel empowered and welcome in our school communities. Because if they are, because if they are, the experience that that student, their child will have in our school community will be will be wonderful. Right. And that's what we want. But we don't get it without a new mayor. And everybody in this room know y'all need a new mayor. (laughs) But it won't be me. I really love my job. I am really honored to serve this city because this union serves more than just this core membership. It serves the city because they are committed to common good bargaining. Listen, it was a blessing in disguise last spring to have such a fierce intramural um, contest in my union because what it did was that it made us accountable to the experiences that people had across the city. It made us accountable to the tremendous trauma that our members and everyone that they're dealing with experienced during that time. It made us accountable to continue to dream, reimagine, and fight very hard for the schools Chicago students deserve in a city that their families have already deserved. Thank you. Thank you, Stacey, for those uh, wonderful remarks. Uh, we'll let her take a, a sip of water and, and catch her breath. Uh, and and I'll make one final call for questions. If anyone has questions, there are papers on your Listen, uh, and teacher, if tables. I did a bad job, there are no questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, for my ego, at least have a couple questions. <laughs> well, I will say that one of the questions that a couple of people asked you just answered at the last uh, <laughs> the last minute of your uh, of your speech. So I'll I'll avoid asking that one again. Um, but please, if you do have questions. Um, I have a whole post of them. We probably won't go through all of them, but uh, we do have some staff around here. Please raise your hand and just kind of move them to the front. And um, we have a little uh, tradition here of, of course, asking questions that uh, members have have posed first. So I'll start with Dwayne Deskin's question, who is a uh, City Club member. And if you're not a member, you get your question asked sooner. And it's very easy to do so. It's only $50, I think. You can come on and, and join us, and you'll be here uh, next week. 
Um, all right. So uh, Dwayne Deskins uh, said, thank you for your, your comments. He's a, a former federal prosecutor. Um, from a comparative, <laughs> from a comparative, and it's a, it's a simple loaded, a simple question, but very loaded. Yes. Um, from a comparative perspective, do you think students in CPS are getting a good education? Thank you. You know, that's a great question. And because it's a loaded question, define good. And for whom? Because good for black kids has always been inferior for what is good for white kids. That's how this is all set up. And what's good for white kids may not be what's good for black kids or brown kids. You understand my point here? So good. And then define education, right? Because children are getting the education whether we teaching it or not. So this is what I'll say, what I would like, what I think is healthy and real-rounded. I think children need to be in spaces where they are loved. That's number one. So the people who are in that school community, and I'm not saying just let them do whatever, because I love my children, but shut up. <laughs> Listen. You know what I mean? There's balance. To my, but to your question, fund a school for fine arts. Play an instrument. Learn how to practice something. Learn how to perfect it. Learn how to perform it, right? That's the same concept with sports. And you all put a young lady in a competition. In this work, I have seen so many capable women demure. And I have seen so many mediocre men go first. But the difference in between the women who think of, of themselves is that the women have been competitive in some way. They have had to practice, perfect, figure it out. It's not the test, y'all. Who can tell me about the algebra test or the standardized test? But I bet you can tell me about the big game. I bet you can tell me about the big performance. I bet you can tell me about everything else except for that class. And that's what we need more of in Chicago. So a good education is funded. It is loving. It is well-rounded. It has everything to capture the imagination of young people. And it centers their well-being. Yes. I learned very clearly or very quickly during COVID that my children were in charge. They were. Everything else had been changed was different. And so in order for that household to be stable and settled, I had to center it on them. Guess whose school needs to be centered around? The students. And you mentioned students, they certainly remember the big game or, or some of the other fun things. But one thing I will say, who doesn't remember their favorite teacher? Right. You may not remember the class or what you learned in it or the grade that you got, but who doesn't remember their favorite teacher? Um, and speaking of strong women, uh, there's a, a question here from Claudia Moreno Nunez. Uh, also, she's not a member, so we will have to work on that uh, from Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, how does your leadership style differ from Karen Lewis? How has Karen shaped your life to the person you are today? What did, this is three questions. She wants me to cry. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what advice has stayed with you today from the fierce Karen Lewis? Ooh. 
So I'll start with the last part first. Karen said, ask questions, Stacey. She said, you are your smartest. You are your best when you are engaging. I talk too long. That's what she would say. You didn't leave enough time for Q&A. <laughs> That's what she would say. Because she is literally in my ear. Look, you can't stand on this stage in Chicago and think that you're anyone if you don't know Karen Lewis. Karen Lewis, um, Leandra Kahn. She's one of our principals um, in the charter space. And Leandra said, I do this with the fierceness in which I do it because Karen. She told me that we were in a heated contract negotiation. But listen to what that meant, though, to black women, both intentionally fighters for education, both inspired by Karen Lewis. Karen, as a resident of the city, as a graduate of Kenwood, right? As a daughter of uh, teachers, as a Southsider, right? She gave something to everyone. What did Karen give to me? She gave me the ability to make mistakes. And the courage to use my voice. We're, we're lucky to hear that voice here today. Thank you. Um, I've got one online that's actually from a, a fellow board member of the board governors, uh, Francis Cow. Um, so I'm going to read this off my phone, if you don't mind. Uh, in a time when teachers also need to push for policies and actions directed towards students' mental and physical health, safety, and addressing remedial educational needs due to the effects of the pandemic. She's a lawyer, by the way, if you, if you didn't know Francis. <laughs> Does CTU have any creative suggestions on how CPS in the city can address the budget required to implement these actions? But wait, there's more. <laughs> the bottom line is that, and this may be a little more commentary, the bottom line is uh, that further property tax will burden Chicagoans and, as always, will have disproportionate impact on the families of the very students who most need the help for which CTU has been advocating. Okay, do I need to repeat any of that? No, 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 no. No, I'm a mother and a teacher. I told y'all we got skills. Um, you tax rich people is the short answer. They have it. They made a lot of money during the pandemic. So that's one. But look, let, let's go here. The idea is that we have to get creative. There's nothing creative about what they're doing on the North Shore. They're paying for it, y'all. <laughs> they're loving on people and they're making sure it's there. That's not creative. That's priority. Um, so that's one. But here's the thing about that question. So I'm not a property tax attorney. I don't play one on television. And property taxes in the city of Chicago are the most progressive, is the most progressive form of taxation we have. Think about it. Kurt Hilgendorf and I live in the same house. He lives in Portage Park and I live in Chatham. His house is worth more than my house. Let that settle for a minute. Feel that inequity and segregation. That generational wealth going down the tube. It's progressive already. Maybe it needs to be more. But here's the thing. 
do people up north want to pay for the education of students down south? And what I found is that by and large, yeah, they do because they are. And though the segregation of this city, quite frankly, is what was wrong during COVID. Because the people up north were wondering why the people down south where I live, why we were walking around with umbrellas when it was sunny and clear up north. Let that settle for a minute. The problems ain't the same in this city, you all. My members up north were um, serving families that were unafraid of a vaccine. They were serving families whose parents had the means to create bubbles, right? Wi-Fi wasn't a problem. Yes, they were ready to send those kids back to school, ASAP, because they had done everything that the CDC had said twice the wrong way and, and right the third way. That was a joke. <laughs> that wasn't funny. <laughs> um, but they, had, they did everything because it wasn't problematic right? They had never had the abuse and mistrust of a medical system. It was easy -er, er for them to navigate the COVID world. So why wouldn't they be annoyed at Stacey Davis Gates talking about vaccines and we need them before we go back because the grandmother that lives in a multi-generational household in Grand Crossings is probably going to get sick. Remember Jensen Elementary School yeah. on the west side? Like these things were predictable. And yes, it was uncomfortable for families that did not have those dilemmas, circumstances, roadblocks, barriers. I get it. But who gets to speak for the family in Grand Crossings or West Garfield Park? Because we don't have the leadership in this city that sees their humanity. And then budgets for it. And then implements for it and then reflects on it and then figures out how to do it better if they got it wrong. We don't have that in Chicago. And so your teachers union, remember this, remember this phrase, playing out of position. That's where we find ourselves. That six year old girl who was shot. She's coming back to a classroom, y'all. understand why our audience is so engaged and I'm sorry but we're not going to be able to get to all these great questions. I do have two more if you have time for two more. I have time for her. I'm a teacher. <laughs> this questions. This is how we know people listen to us. <laughs> so this one comes from our friend Lawrence Massal uh, who is a member. Thank you Lawrence and we always enjoy seeing him here. Uh, he's from the Civic Federation as many of you know. Uh, thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. um, and for your candor, um, he mentions, why does Chicago need 21 elected school board members when every other school district in Illinois has seven? Thank you for that question. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, I do. I think question, you know what? We're not asking each other enough questions. And then we're, and if we do ask, we're not waiting to hear it. The answer all of what we are experiencing in this world is because no one listened to Donald Trump. <laughs> what is this, Republican convention? 
Maybe. My okay, I'm teasing. I thought. <laughs> what was the question again? Twenty-one members on the board, as opposed to seven. Who said it had to be seven? Somebody somewhere in some place at some point. I, does that work better than twenty-one? We'll find out. No, I'm I'm not trying to be glib, but I am going to say this. <clears throat> that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because no one wants what they don't want, right? We have community groups who wanted it all, period, right? We have the rich and elite who want none of it. Um, and then we have other people who still don't know that this is what's happening, right? Because it's, it's something to work nonstop and try to parent. You don't have much time to pay attention to the news or the newspaper. That said, why 21? Because black people on the West Side need to be represented on the school board. It's that simple, right? I, I could get more like technical with stuff, but like if you look at the city, right? And you carve the city up. How does um, a black mother on the west side of Chicago who perhaps needs to have her voice centered the most as a parent because of what isn't there and hasn't been there generationally? How does she win a school board race if you only have seven? The geography is a huge place to tackle. And, you know, elections here in Chicago, they cost 10 billion dollars. Right. And she should not be the shield of those people or those people. She should be her person. She knows better than anyone what she needs in order to like provide the, the, the equity and the policy she needs to fill. And so you don't want her to be in a situation where she has to depend on a check from an interest group to knock a door, to send a mailer, to have a communication with the voter. You want her to have the ability to do that through the grassroots. I don't know how you do that in Chicago with seven people. I don't know how you center the parent with that. Now, I know how you center the union with it. Right. I know how you center the privatization movement with it. Right. We know how the city could center it. Right. But how do you center it in Chicago, in North Lawndale or in Roseland or in Inglewood or in um, Edison Park or in Beverly or in Mount Greenwood? Clearing. Right. You have to center it with the people who need it the most. And I don't know how you do it with seven. That's the short answer. Great. I'm going to finish with this. It's a combination of a couple of different okay. questions. Um, but our, our city has a clearly strong history of collaboration, respectful discourse, and that I will spirit to work together to move the city forward. Clearly, it's a national, you just mentioned our uh, former president, clearly a national, even international trend, this polarization mm -hmm. that we see in, in, this, in this fighting. Um, how, I guess, simply put, how do we get back to respectful discourse, okay. even when we have issues? Thank you. I really appreciate these questions. I do. I appreciate you not being nice or coy or soft. I needed you to ask me that question because I want to answer it. <clears throat> there are so many assumptions packed into that question. So let me diagram the question. Respectful discourse get back to it, um, polarization. 
I would say if I'm teaching a class and I'm diagramming the context of that question, I'm saying that that comes from someone of privilege because it's polarized when you're homeless and you have children. It is polarized when there is a building that blows up in your neighborhood during a pandemic respiratory, you know, it's polarizing when there is a ceiling falling in at a school where children are passing classes and workers are working. It's already polarized. I didn't do that. And I told you I'm a mandated reporter. So it is fundamentally my job to say that the sky is falling because it is. And how do you say that comfortably if it's falling? How do you say politely, don't close my school? How do you say politely, dude, I'm staffing my school with substitutes all the time. Y'all need to leave these teachers alone and let us support them. How do you say politely, the little, the young woman who was dragged down the steps at Marshall High School by a cop, that she doesn't feel safe anymore so she doesn't go to school. And then her classmates who saw it, they have a trauma too. How do you say that? How do you say it? Did the people in Highland Park had to say politely what they needed? And that was polarized, baby. We have to stop. We have to stop granting only certain folks, spaces, benefits of the doubt, their humanity. And you know why? Because I hugged people over there. They're supposed to be my opponent. The, the privatization industry is supposed to be my opponent. Frantic. That's who we live with. Because we just never stop bargaining. They're supposed to be my opponent. But we hugged. And they might have COVID and I might have COVID. <laughs> We're interdependent, you all. We're interdependent. We are more interdependent than we are opponents. Do we disagree? Yup. Do they get beat? Yup. <laughs> But we ain't winning. But we ain't winning. And that's why with and partner are the two words that you get to leave here with. We may be beating them, but we ain't winning. 